when we're going through tough times, it can start to feel as though we're completely stuck. Life will always be this hard and the idea of this too shall pass seems utterly foreign. But life is a dynamic thing. No two moments are the same and so change is always possible, even if we can't see our way through in this exact moment. Hello. Thanks for joining me for another edition of the UOK podcast. I hope that uh, the recent spell of gorgeous summer weather has been doing wonders for your mood. But, you know, if not and you're feeling a bit flat, I really hope today's chat will give you a bit of a lift. I'm joined by Mick Finnegan, who, look, to be honest, could make an entire podcast series about his life experience to date. Mick has been homeless in Dublin and London. He struggled for a while to get a handle on his mental health enduring really some incredibly dark days that did lead to suicide attempts. He's also worked on the other side of homeless services with a number of organisations, including DePaul, and through a random encounter with an international rugby icon, ended up qualifying as a rugby coach with Saracens. More recently, he's worked with London's Royal College of Psychiatrists as an advisor with the National Collaborating Centre for Mental Health in the UK, where he helped to shape mental health policy and improve services. These days, Mick is back in Dublin studying in Trinity College with the goal of becoming a social worker. And last week he tweeted, 20 years ago, I was sleeping rough at the bottom of Grafton Street. Today, directly opposite of where I'd wake up most days, I passed my first of many years in college. Now, if you are someone who is finding life difficult at the moment, be it because of restrictions related to the pandemic or other factors, I really hope you'll find comfort, bit of reassurance and some inspiration in Mick's story. Of course, as always, we begin by asking, in these strange times, Mick Finnegan, are you OK? You know, it's been difficult a little bit, you know, not having kind of social interaction. But overall, it's been it's been good. Um, it's definitely kind of reminded me of kind of what I need to do to stay stay well. You know, I've, I struggled with my mental health for a long time. And um, the last six years, I've been relatively stable. Um, and that's pretty much down to my uh, wellness recovery action plan mm-hmm. um and through that that gives me kind of you know a real kind of way of kind of processing how i'm feeling being honest with myself and also kind of accessing services and support networks should i need them um, and i haven't thankfully I haven't even though it's been a difficult time for everybody um i haven't needed to kind of access any services other than to ring the GP for like a repeat prescription. That's mm. literally the, the, the most of it. But when I am feeling kind of, you know, down or I'm feeling a bit upset about stuff or, you know, I talk to my psychiatrist, I talk to my uh, my psychiatric nurse, the community mental health team, mm. uh, my GP. And, you know, it's really important to be proactive around that when you're dealing with um, your mental health, you know. Um, because a lot of people don't. People just kind of, especially blokes, especially Irish blokes, we are like we are rubbish at talking about how we feel. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I'd be sitting like, I, I remember when I moved back to Dublin um, in September and I remember sitting with my mate, uh, Robbie, and we'd be chatting away and I'd go, how are you? And he'd go, don't, don't you start now. I, I'm not having, look, I'm fine. I only came in here for a quiet point, Mick. And like... <laughs> 
<laughs> so everyone thinks you want deep and meaningfuls all the time. Pretty much. And all I want to do is just have a quiet point and chill out. Uh, but I think it's nice that my friends know that, you know, if they are struggling, you know, that, that they can come and talk to me. And to be fair, even people on Twitter and social media, they do reach out, mm-hmm. you know, with some um, very distressing stuff and they don't know how to deal with a lot. Of, and a, a lot of what I do is kind of just signposting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because you know, I'm 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 not an academic yet. You know, I'm um, but um, you know, I know a little bit about kind of getting through and uh, navigating um mental health services. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think it's interesting that like what you just described there as your wellness recovery action plan from significant mental health difficulties is actually just stuff that really everybody should be doing all the time, like prioritising your mental health, checking in with yourself. If you're not feeling great, reach out and talk to somebody. Like, they're quite simple things at their core for everybody to keep in mind, because I'm sure everybody, irrespective of their mental health history to now, has found pockets of the last few months trying. Massively, yeah. I think, you know, Dublin's probably got the longest queues for off licences in in probably (laughs) Europe. Like, I'm walking down the road and it's like... 100 people queuing for drinks whatever yeah. I think they're not self-medicating but it's a form of self-care they're looking after their emotional needs because they might need the kind of veg they might need to just chill at home with a can yeah. or a gin and tonic or yeah. I don't know what which is fine when yeah. you have a handle on it and when you don't have a handle on it where it can get messy that's where it spoils out of control and people mm. then you know over rely on on whatever substance that they need to do mm. to escape from the reality mm. or the trauma that they're dealing with and trauma is a big thing lots of men uh, and, and women don't talk about their trauma I'm constantly talking about it because I was able to kind of go through a process of counselling a lot of CBT a lot of intensive support when I was a, uh, an inpatient in a psychiatric unit in mm. London in my tw- in my 20s yeah. being the victim of child sexual abuse and and kind of not dealing with that mm. you know and pushing people that cared about me away mm. and not expressing how I felt not being able to cry yeah you know not being able to kind of go do you know what this was wrong mm. and yeah it was but you, this is not the end of your journey this mm. is not the end of your life it was horrible what's happened but by kind of actually taking ownership of that and ownership of your story you know you can actually have a, f- a fulfilled life I wouldn't you know I wouldn't have thought for a minute I'd be, you know, sitting here in RTA giving an interview. Do you know what I mean? Like, I grew up in the flats. Do you know what I mean? Um, but this is the whole thing about your story, though, Mick, is because, you know, for anybody that maybe doesn't follow you on social media or didn't see a week or so ago, you tweeted that 20 years ago, I used to wake up at the bottom of Grafton Street when I was rough sleeping. And now I'm after passing my first year of college in Trinity. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit surreal. Yeah, you know, like you go from sleeping rough accessing homeless services whether it's hostels you'd ring a free phone number back then i don't know what it's like now accessing services because uh, i haven't had to do that for for obvious reasons um but it was a horrible experience you know because you'd ring the free phone and there wouldn't be a bed in a hostel mm-hmm. and even then if you did get a bed you're in a room with 20 other blokes or 10 blokes or five blokes or three blokes mm-hmm. people you don't even know yeah and i don't think that's an appropriate way to deal with the trauma that people are already experiencing which is one why probably dublin has some of the highest rates of rough sleepers and people on i think it's was there something like ten thousand people home registered homeless sadly i lost my brother a 
couple of years ago. Mm. Um, he was homeless, sleeping mm. rough, and accessing um, services in and out of prison, and he overdosed. Uh, you know, and it's heartbreaking that you know to of kind course. of experience that. But it also kind of gives me a passion to kind of share his story and to kind of hope that we can improve services for society's most vulnerable. That way that you put it about 20 years ago, I was here and 20 years later, I'm literally on the opposite side of the street in every possible way conceivable. I think does give people great hope to know that in any circumstance, if you're finding it difficult, that old adage of like this too shall pass. Mm. But like life is a moving thing, you know, it moves forward and things can change. Talk us through a little bit of how things did change for you. How I got off the streets was pretty much down to a couple of people within different organisations. There was the the Salvation Army. There was a guy there. There was there's loads of guys actually within that organisation that helped me. But there was one guy who's been the most consistent in my life, and um, and that's Howard Russell. He was the he got me off the streets when I was when I had nothing. He was the most consistent, still is the most consistent person in my life over the last God knows how long, and. No matter how many times I fail, no matter how many times I mess up or make mistakes or, you know, no matter how many times I end up in hospital, he was there. He was there. And I think that's one of the big things, I think, especially going through this moment, you know, um, whether it's COVID or if you're doing the, if you're awaiting your predicted grades for your leaving cert, yeah, you know, like, I think just consistency is key regardless of what happens, just be there for them. Love them unconditionally and just what would be would be and eventually people do find the path that they're meant to walk on mm. um, and um, yeah like Howard was just unbelievable you know I remember like you know he gave me a job working with the homeless in London in in, in, in the East End in Whitechapel I loved it um, um, and he was there when I had a, a my, my, my very public mental breakdown on the bridge I was just lost the plot it's the only way I can describe it and I remember kind of him coming up onto the bridge and um, I was on there for four hours. I was really, really unwell um, chatting away to a police negotiator. I was like, he's like, what are your demands? And I was like, I want to speak to Tony Blair. And the the, the, the negotiator was like, well, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and then eventually, like out of nowhere, Howard comes and he's there chatting away to me. And, you know, he tells me he loves me and that like if I if I did jump off the bridge he would be devastated for me that kind of even now thinking about it, I'm kind yeah, of welling up I can imagine you know um, um, that support kind of was, was the catalyst to kind of okay let's try mental health services but then when I got into mental health services because I'm because I don't like being told what to do um, <laughs> that didn't really go well okay. you know I'd, I'd um, you know I'd be Basically, you're locked in a secure unit. You can't go anywhere. Like, I'd be absconding. Like, you know, I remember being on good behaviour and the fella, the Norris, bless him, um, he wanted, he says to me, he goes, uh, Mick, I don't want you to run off today because we're going to get your hair cut and it'd be grand. But if you do run off, trust me, I'll catch you. And this fella was like six foot odd and was like 20, he was a lot heavier than me. And I thought, no way, I'll gas him. I'm away. So as soon as we get outside, I wait till we get down, like onto this road, and like he's a he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a nurse, you know what I mean? And he's like one of the nicest blokes you ever meet, really caring. And I leg it, I'm running away, I'm like, you know, taking on the flash. And next of all, I look around and I can just see him, and he clips my legs, and I go flying. 
and I lose it. I'm like, what are you playing? What? what? And he goes, he goes, God, why'd you trip me up? And he goes, oh, I didn't trip you up. You fell. <laughs> you fell. Because if I went back and told the, the nurse manager yeah, or yeah. the doctor that he tripped me up, yeah. That would have been put down as I absconded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would have my my I would have lost my privileges for Aww. getting out and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um but the, the the care and support that I received off the NHS, um, in relation to kind of my mental health and getting that stability and getting that diagnosis and kind of has been fantastic. Even when I finally kinda got control and that stability, you know, it was down to the NHS mm-hmm. because they didn't give up on me. They didn't just go Right, see you later, me. Bit like Howard, consistent and the support was was unbelievable. I think that's a really important message for people to understand who either may have people in their lives who are struggling with something, or if they themselves are struggling. That idea that if there is somebody in your corner, or if you're somebody in someone's corner, that the being there, just the act of being there, you don't always have to fix things. No, you can just be there, and yeah. just showing up in that way is actually really powerful for somebody completely because it, it enabled me to kind of for me it kind of gave me a sense of identity because I didn't have that right didn't have much of a family I didn't have um, and that was always kind of a uh, a bone of contention for me you know mm. what I mean because I didn't have that family mm. support network that I could rely on and having you know people even though they were paid professionals and they were like they had to look after me you know <laughs> they genuinely did care yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. You know, and it was nice that they were consistent with their approach. You know, it did give me the ability to find that stability. And I'm here now, six years, you know, no no hospitalizations in relation to kind Brilliant. of my mental health, no relapses, no getting into standoffs with, <laughs> with the police or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't say that I don't have bad days. We all no, get bad days because we're human beings. But yeah. it's importantly for me, I find what helps me that when I do get that bad day, you know, I pick up the phone, bring my best friends or I go for a walk and, you know, I eat healthily, exercise, I stay away from the drink. Oftentimes in how we think about bad days or difficult times like this crisis, we sort of think about life as something that we need to try and avoid that, that we're kind of aiming this idea of aiming for happiness, that you're aiming for a life that doesn't have pain in it or that doesn't have difficult times in it. But exactly as you've just described, it's not about that because that's impossible because that's not life. It's about being able to weather those and manage them when they come along and having those strategies. Oh, completely. Like because I didn't address my mental health, I was unable to have a relationship. Any relationship I had failed. Some down to my own doing, some down to they were like, we just googled it there and uh, played <laughs> mad. Like, and literally, I've had that. I have, I have had that. Like, because like the thing is though, if you Google me, it either comes up that I got into a standoff with the police in London, or I'm the president of the Workers' Party. Right. <laughs> but he's like eighty odd or something. He's a different McFinnigan. Yeah, he's a different uh, McFinnigan. You know what I mean? And like, and then even when they say standoff with the police, yeah, it makes out like I'm armed. Like I'm, some yeah, sort, you know, like it's some sort of Bruce Willis action movie. We need to, I think, personally, if you if you know if you're looking for that stability, you need to be able to address the issues that are in your life, whether it's mental health, addiction, whatever. Would you say that throughout your twenties was kind of in peaks and troughs, in and out of situations with sort of bad mental health, and then Pretty kind much, of highs? Yeah, and stuff? like sometimes I'd have like <laughs> moments of I'm gonna go and work in Austria. 
just mad ideas that pop into your head and I'd be like and then I end up working in a bar in, in Austria and, and, and everyone's like what are you going over there for I just don't know I just fancied it <laughs> not the fact that I was absolutely completely manic and I wasn't addressing my mental health issue you know when I started kind of getting a bit of stability and stuff and getting my life together and getting out of hospital and trying to get back into work you know in England same as here you've got mm. Garda Vetting sure over there they, they, they have a posher name for it they call it the Disclosure and Barring Service and it's all like very grand um, but all my mental health stuff came up on that yeah and it was stopping me from going back into the the, the work that community I community work yeah and um, I couldn't get a job and I remember bumping in bumping into a few lads outside the job centre in Tottenham and I knew nothing about these lads but apparently they were they were famous rugby players right uh, Scott Quinnell who captained Wales and he was a British and Irish line rugby mm. player and Will Greenwood you know won the World Cup with England yeah and I was like do you want to play rugby and I was like no it's... and then they said oh we'll get you a job at the end of it and I was like right I'm in and they taught me how to play rugby um, on this TV programme called School of Hard Knocks and I couldn't believe it you know that, that show kind of then kind of spurred me on to kind of get a job I ended up working with like Saracens and they mm. were happy enough and then I ended up like getting put through my coaching badges and stuff um, with Saracens and coaching there and, and then I was like doing like social inclusion stuff with that then and I was able to kind of use my skill sets from working doing the community stuff and rugby mm. um, and then kind of working with gangs Right. in London you know yeah. with kids who are from socio-economically deprived areas in mm. Brixton and places like that in South London where I'd be going in like I'm this fat ginger fella from Dublin with a bag of balls and some cones with a saracen stop on me and all these kids are from like Jamaica and I had all them playing rugby like but it was good crack and it was great to kind of be or to have a porpoise again yes of Do course I, mean? I can imagine I, I think yeah. that's another thing that's paramount in relation to kind of you know, stability in relation to your mental health recovery is having that purpose, having that goal. Could be anything. And you, at the moment, all of those experiences have pointed you in the direction of your goal is now to become a social worker. That's the plan, yeah, yes. I, I was lucky enough two years ago to, um, I applied for a role within the, at the Royal College of Psychiatrists and uh, National Collaborating Centre for Mental Health. Um, they were looking for national advisors. Um, this is in London. In London, yeah, yeah, for their mental health safety improvement program, and it was to help improve mental health safety for patients, to improve service delivery, and to help staff uh, work from an evidence-based approach. Mm. So, if there were areas where, say, there were higher levels of restraint, or there was over reliance on medication right. in relation to kind of therapeutic interventions with patients, mm -hmm. we would go in and we'd be like, right, "Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that?" The last two years I was doing that and I was encouraged by um, some amazing team members there, colleagues, uh, Dr. Helen Smith, Tom Ayres, Emma Wadey, who's like the chief nurse for mental health for England. These are pretty important people within the NHS in England. Like mm -hmm. They run, they effectively run it and run their particular areas. Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky to have been given the opportunity to kind of share my skill sets and, and, and work, work with them in kind of improving service delivery overall for different NHS trusts, hospitals. Mm. The goal is to become a social worker, you know. And, um, I've met some amazing social workers who've really inspired me. Sean Holland, who's the chief social worker of uh, Northern Ireland, you know, I met him on a train. We chatted about loads of different stuff. Mm. And it was just kind of, for me, that was really, really humble, humbling yeah. and also a learning experience, kind of 
he was very open and honest about how his studies went and right. how they didn't go initially the plan but he got there you know and yeah. and, and uh you know he was always talking about like never pulling the ladder up from behind you it always stuck with me i think it's a nice way of kind of just saying you know be kind absolutely always and i and i was just kind of struck by that you know and and uh and he said if you ever need that and give us a show he follows me on twitter as well and uh yeah and he's always kind of checking in seeing how i'm getting on mm. and, and and encouraged by and, I mean, and that encourages me to kind of then continue on and push towards that goal of of becoming a social worker one day you know i mean i've no doubt you're gonna do it plan, you seem yeah. very motivated to do it well, I've been working in the field now, like within mm. kind of health and social care mm. and mental health. Like I was working in that field for a, for a, for a very long time, mm. and it made sense to kind of get that academic get it rubber stamped. Pretty much to get the academic background that will underpin me knowledge, skills, and practice. You know, so that then when I am working, it's not tokenistic. I'm not just the expert by experience. I'm the expert because I have the academic uh, qualification. There's a there's a very well known psychiatrist called uh, Dr. Ahmed Hakir. He's uh, cutting his um, Twitter handles like the Wounded Healer, mm-hmm. and he's the um, he's just, he's an amazing psychiatrist because he will sit down and go, "I was there, I was an impatient, I was a refugee, I've suffered racism, I know exactly how you feel," and he comes at it from a real human perspective. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of professionals do, but it does help you engage probably a bit, a little bit better. Mm. Um, with with the people that you're working with, mm. you know, because I think there's a real sense of there's a real sense of honesty, and then also kind of that they, they understand that you understand where they're coming from. And it's leading with your humanity first and foremost, you know. And I think this experience, this crisis that we're in at the moment, this whole COVID nineteen pandemic business, like I'd be interested to hear if you feel the same. But like it it feels as though for the first time in a long time, we're all starting to realise that a bit more, starting to understand, oh yeah, we are actually all so interconnected yeah. and we can help each other through these difficult times, be there for each other when we're either, whether it be a mental health difficulty or if it's a job loss or whatever, yeah. just reinforcing those connections. Like, have you felt that you've seen more of that in the last while? Massively, yeah. Like, my, my granny would tell me back in the day when she lived in the flats that she'd leave her door open. The way she described it, there was a real sense of community spirit. And I think if you look at how the Irish public have kind of rallied around, whether it's the Gardaí doing a fantastic job of, you know, picking up the shopping, do you know what I mean? Or walking someone's dog or doing a drive-by for some kid's birthday and putting on the lights. And do you know what I mean? And, and you know, society is a lot nicer if we're, you know, if we're kind to each other. Um, And it's, it's fantastic to see. And I hope, you know, if... The one thing, the one positive thing comes out of COVID, I hope that stays because we are in this together. And I think together we can make a massive difference in each other's lives if we are kinder to each other. The examples that you've just mentioned this afternoon about all of the kindness that was shown to you and the massive difference that made to you. Completely, yeah. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here chatting to you if people didn't consistently bothered coming to see me made sure i took my meds all that stuff but i wouldn't it's true that kindness true that empathy that people then begin to know their worth and their value and a lot of the time when you can't see a future when you can't see that you're loved or cared for and that's a big thing when you can't see that you don't see your worth you don't know your value but the reality is it doesn't matter what you're going through you are loved you are valued and people do care about you Kindness can cost us so little to extend to another human being and yet 
as you heard there, it can be utterly transformative and its benefits can endure for a lifetime. I really hope you enjoyed that chat with Mick. As I said at the outset, he has an incredible life story that we just didn't have time to bring you all of today. But I'd recommend seeking out Jarlath Regan's Irishman Abroad podcast episode where I first virtually met Mick from a few years back. And you can hear in more detail about Mick's mental health experience there. I don't know about you, but I am always comforted and reassured when guests on the pod talk about the things that keep balance and stability in their lives. And we see how often they name the same sorts of things. Prioritise your mental health, eat well, get out for a walk, get a good night's sleep. And if you're not feeling great, reach out to someone. Now, I know that is not as easy as it sounds. And if you're uncomfortable talking to a friend or family member about something, call the Samaritans or AWARE or another agency. You can find all the details of helplines and support services at rte.ie forward slash support. This podcast is created and edited by Paul Moriarty and me, Jamie Lanigan. You can find all previous episodes at rte.ie forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for joining me today. We'll talk again soon. And in the meantime, take care. Thank you.